In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. At the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we begin our prayer by going to the psalm that the church, the church proposes to us today in the readings of the Mass. We often just read the responsorial psalm, perhaps without paying that much attention to it. But here the response is, Lord, you are my strength. In fact, it says, I love you, Lord, my strength. It's from Psalm 17. I love you, Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is the rock where I take refuge, my shield, my mighty help, my stronghold. The Lord is worthy of all praise. When I call, I am saved from my foes. I love you, Lord, my strength. The response. Long life to the Lord, my rock. Praise be the God who saves me. He has given great victories to his king and shown his love for his anointed. I love you, Lord, my strength. These are beautiful words uh, that have been recited and prayed over the centuries, first by the people of Israel, and then, of course, by many Christians and even other people of all kinds, the Psalms. Benedictine monks of old, and even, of course, today, would engage in the Liturgy of the Hours, priests have to by obligation to the Liturgy of the Hours, which is made up largely of the Psalms, written or attributed to King David. The monks would live their entire life, really, around the Psalms. They would get up at, at 4 a.m. I saw recently a schedule for Benedictine monks in Oklahoma, in Clear, Clear, Clear Creek, Oklahoma. They would get up at 4 a.m., they would sing the matins, then they would have a mass, then they would have more psalms, and then they would have breakfast, and then they would, I mean, it was like a really short breakfast, like 10 minutes, and then they keep go back to another um, morning prayer, and then work, and they go back to the psalms in the afternoon, And they have comp lines in the evening. But they have, to, they have to go to bed early because they're going to get up very, very early. The Psalms, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, 
was so key to them. It gave them strength and solidity because they were inspired and they really understood these loving words of God. Lord, I love you. You are my strength, my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock where I take refuge. How many souls have said these words? These words. Where is that strength, Lord? When are you my strength? When are you my refuge, my help? In what moments do I discover that you are my stronghold? Well, precisely when we just say these words, Lord, you are my strength, we just say them like that. Sometimes by reading them, sometimes by hearing them. When we speak to him in the morning prayer, we say that sometimes, Lord, I love you. You are my shield, my mighty help, my stronghold. It's good to use the very words that that scripture uses because they are inspired and when we speak to him in the morning in the mental prayer we don't just go there completely silent or passive passive just waiting waiting for something to happen we read out from the book of meditations and there of course we hear a general text we hear quotes from scriptures from the gospel that we hear words of saints the fathers of the church St. John Chrysostom often is cited St. Ambrose, St. Augustine comes out frequently, St. Thomas of course St. Josemaria comes out there church documents Second Vatican Council Naturally, there's a big difference between Scripture and these words. Scripture is inspired by God. They're divine. But these are still words that have to be like that, my refuge, my help, my stronghold. So that when we come out of the oratory, we do feel strengthened, shielded, protected. Why? Because we have spoken to him, we have listened to him, because he speaks to us through those words. Our prayer is not simply an internal monologue with ourselves. It's not simply ourselves thinking things, well, I wonder if I should do that. Hmm, it'd be interesting if I did this or read that or spoke to this person, I kind of like as though it was just us there. Right now, you are here with us, Lord. We make acts of faith in your real presence, both in the tabernacle, but also in our soul in grace. As he speaks to us through the scriptures, as he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. Of course, the means that we have to be open to all his motions call them motions, we call them movements, we call them we call them words because indeed our prayer is not just a, a monologue. We do have to be aware 
however, how our mind turns in on itself. We do have to be aware, though this is not a monologue and we're speaking to God, He is aware of us and we are aware of Him. We do have to be aware of the kind of thoughts that might enter into our head. And of course, our Lord Himself will be aware of them. Sometimes it happens to us, we have done something that we're not very proud of, that we, we made a mistake. Or just think of that moment in your life that you might replay over and over, like a tape recorder. You, you, tape, you played over, I did this, and we, we kind of cringe. It's a, it, we all have a moment that, or more, more than one moment, but, but uh, that something that comes back often throughout our life. It might be a mistake we made, something you could have avoided. I would say there are probably several moments like that in our life. And those things that tend to come back to us are typically not positive. Even though we have tons of positive moments in our life, joyful, joyful moments. Isn't it true that people sometimes on an anniversary will look at a photo album or they will look at a video of that positive moment as though they need to re remember it as though they need to have it be awakened in their hearts but it is true that it happens the mind I'm talking about the mind here now like the mind the, how we are thinking it involves ideas it involves pictures or imagination but the mind replays over and over certain events as if kind of searching for something we all have this mental capacity and we experience it to some extent. That experience is that the more pain that is felt in the moment in which we do something, the more the memory can stick. If, we, if we've had a painful moment, it's like that, that sticks after. I guess that's what happens to somebody who has suffered uh, PTSD, post-traumatic post stress disorder. They've had a stressful, traumatic event, typically like a soldier at war, and then they just, they just keep going over this event over and over and over. They relive it. And it is very easy for the mind to slip into a, a thought stream that starts with a spark of memory and then develops into a, a thought like what could I have done differently if only I had done this if only this hadn't happened and that's with regards to the thought if only I s didn't say that or didn't do that that's the thought of, of the, the event rather but that can easily swirl into I'm not that good, really. I'm, I didn't do that because I'm not that good. I'm really bad. Or I was, I was dealt a bad hand. I wish that it was better than I am. I'm, 
Or, or why did she say this to me? And our, our mind goes into a kind of spin cycle, like the washing machine that is on spin cycle that sucks all the, all the water out of the, of the clothes. And this, of course, happens to everyone, not just those who have experienced a very traumatic moment. But it is true that memories do lead to ruminations about the negative feelings associated with those events and those things. And they can morph into ruminations about ourselves. And they can render our sense of ourselves fragile. They can render our sense of divine filiation fragile. Because that memory is so dominant in our heads. And this is the nature of the mind going on autopilot. It often happens we do a lot of things on autopilot. Like an automaton. Like probably as soon as I step out here, some of you are going to get up, you're going to light the, the candles there, somebody's going to move this, you know, the child is here, boom, bam, beam, bam, the whole thing is going to get moving. Or I can imagine just, uh, you know, when you come in to clean, okay, one goes to this floor, another goes to the elevator, and bam, beam, bam, the whole thing, it's like, it's like the minions, you know, everything, everything gets done. But it's kind of like, I would imagine, I, I don't know, I don't know. But I don't think you go to a door and go, Hmm, I wonder how you open this. Hmm. Oh, I must turn this knob, I guess. Yeah, okay, I'll try that. No, you just go, boom, boom, boom. You just go. You're on autopilot. And when we're on autopilot, we just do things. It's the world of doing. It's not really the world of being. It's just the world of doing. Sometimes doing fast, just getting it done even as we might be getting stressed about what we're doing. It's the doing, 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 doing. It's not the being present. It's not the focus on what we are. And we can easily get distracted about the actual real purpose of our work, about our activity. I mean, we have to be focused on the work itself, what we're doing, of course. But it can happen that we go on automatic pilot and we forget that the purpose of our work and why we're here is to serve, to love God, to give our life. This is not just about our actions. We can easily forget the psalm, my God is the rock where I take refuge, my shield, my mighty help, my stronghold. The Lord is worthy of all praise. When I call, I am saved from my foes. That's what the psalm says today. We could could easily morph that into thinking, well, I live rather, I am my own stronghold. I must do this before lunch, before it's too late. 
or on autopilot or on autofocus. Like I saw an ad the other day of uh, where you see a scene of a dashboard cam from a car and you see on the highway, you know, the dashboard and you see cars passing by and a car driving on the highway and then the dashboard turns to the driver and the driver is asleep. He's snoring away right there. Right? And, um, and then he wakes up. The guy's woken up and he wakes up and it's, an, it's a self-driving car. He says, oh, oh, here I am in my self-driving car and, and it's like basically an ad for a self-driving car. You know? Pretty soon we'll be able to do this and he's not touching the wheel, he's not touching at all. But the car is there on the highway, it's still working. He's on autopilot. And so this autopilot makes us think that when we do make mistakes, when we do sin, the autopilot mechanism in our brain makes us think, well, that must be us. It must be me. I'm bad. And we often live as though our mistakes, our shortcomings, our sins are actually us and, we, and they are all unforgivable. And certainly unforgettable. But how does God think about our sins and our failings? You are my stronghold and my refuge and my strength. How do you think about my faults, my failings, those words, those things that seem to be coming up in my memory often, even if I might have been forgiven? Well, there was a saint in France, Saint Claude de Colombière, who was the spiritual director of Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque, Alacoque in French. And uh, as you know, Saint Margaret Mary received lots of asp- uh, not aspirations, but um, but uh, apparitions of Jesus. Jesus would come and say, "Hi, how's it going?" and talk to her and. <laughs> appear to her, and he's the one who uh, invited her to spread the sacred heart, the devotion to the sacred heart, and to how to practice this devotion, and there are paintings of her showing her kneeling, and there's our Lord right in front of her. And, uh, and so she goes to this guy, Saint Claude de Colombière, and he asks, she asks him if, uh, if, um, if he can be her spiritual director. And uh, so he says, okay, but before I say yes, uh, he, he said to himself, I'm going to test her. He said, okay, but uh, if you're really, I hear you're, you're having visions of Jesus, that you're seeing Jesus and you're talking to him, well, just a test. I'm just a test. He, does, he didn't say that, but this is what he was doing. He said, uh, next time he appears to you and walks into your room, as he supposedly does, just ask him, if you could, what was my last mortal sin? 
I mean, he must know. He's, he's Jesus. And she said, uh, are you sure? Yeah. Just ask him what was my last mortal sin. So she went away, and then, I don't know, a week later, they met again. And uh, so St. Claude de Colombia said, So, Margaret Mary, did you meet Jesus again? Uh, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came, actually just yesterday he came in and talked to me. And so, did you ask him about my mortal sin? What did he say? Did he say something? Actually, he did. And so, did you actually ask him what my last mortal sin said? She said, I actually did ask him, yeah. And, well, come on, well, what did he say? And she looked at him, and she said, Well, I asked him, what is Claude de Colombia's last mortal sin? And he said, I forget. I forget. Because God forgives, he forgives, and he forgets our sins. So when St. Claude de Colombia heard that, he said, okay, that's good, that's good. I'm good, I'm good, that's good. Because it's a mortal sin, so it's for, for, forgiven and forgotten. But we know, we know when we go to confession, we know our sins are forgiven. We know that, like, duh, I mean, that's why we go to confession. But we don't forget what we've done. We don't forget what we've done. And uh, sometimes we still feel the weight of that burden. And we do not let the burden go ourselves. Jesus has let the burden go. But what about us? We should let the burden go. And we can ruminate about what we did. We can carry the past with us letting it pile up even over our lifetime. Now in confession, we go to, in confession, in, in the work, we go to confession often, we go weekly, we say we go out of devotion because we receive this grace of being forgiven. And in some ways, uh, those s- sins should not weigh down upon us. We have to help the young girls that come here not to be afraid to open their hearts. And one way to do that is to help them to go often. Because they could go, but then don't, they don't go for many months. And they still remember what they've done, and they could still feel the weight of their own sins. But if they go frequently, that is less, maybe less of a danger. They, they feel forgiven, and they they themselves forgive forgive themselves. They let go. We too must let go. Even if we make acts of forgiveness or try at times to let go of the mistakes that we have made in the past, the things we may have said or the things we may have failed to do, It seems we have sometimes a difficult time letting go of those things permanently. Permanently. And as we journey through our life, journey through our vocation, as we get more responsibilities, as we get older, 
as we meet more people, as we love more people, as we give ourselves more to the apostolate, perhaps we can feel greater weight. Ultimately, there can be a hint of perfectionism in what we do. It happens pretty much, I I would say in everybody, there is a hint of perfectionism. And it doesn't let us forget about lots of stuff in our life. Perfectionism is like this ogre standing over us saying, "Uh, by the way, you, you, you failed here. Oh, by the way, this wasn't exactly as it should have been. It reminds us of our failed relationships, those unresolved arguments, those occasions where things didn't go that well in the apostolate, we didn't get many people, or our unrealized dreams in the formation of the St. Mayfield girls. We may have dreams, but they just end up staying like stuff in the future as though it were unrealized. Isn't it true that our father said, I have had dreams and the dreams became true? Dream and you will even go beyond your dreams. When your thought pattern falls into this kind of rut, this rut that keeps almost harassing you and doesn't let you go, it almost feels like it would be a sin to let yourself be happy. I can't be happy. I, I sinned. I did this. I can't be happy. And a lot of, hap- a lot of people, happens. it happens to them. They, they believe they don't deserve to be happy after they, what they've done or what they've experienced or they did this. They just don't deserve it. It's not just our actual sins that pile up and to create that weight. Many people end up thinking that there's something fundamentally wrong with them. Their engine needs a new transmission. Needs uh, something fundamental. Transmission is like, <laughs> you can't just change the transmission. That's like changing the car. This is the lesson that some people learn, that there's something wrong with them. They get this, I don't know, from stuff in life because they, they were maybe bullied by, by classmates or sibling rivalry or other things that happened in their life and, and real things that they did. I mean, it's not as though they didn't happen. They did happen. And they can layer upon them and can create a kind of a blanket of shame that covers them. Those are all the events of our life that keep harassing us. And the young girls that come here can feel that. We have to talk to them. We have to make them feel loved. Not just by us, but that they really feel loved by God. And this is when guilt from doing bad things can turn into shame for who we are and we forget 
that that we are children of God, that God is our strength. There's that record player, you're not good enough, you could do more, you could do better. You don't have a right to be happy. Why are you laughing? Why are you smiling? Shouldn't be happy here. Go and mortify yourself more. You silly, silly, silly. That's, that's what our brain is telling us. Maybe, maybe it's the devil, who knows. But we will say, long life to the Lord, my rock. Praise be the God who saves me. He has given great victories to his king and shown his love for his anointed. What he did to Christ, he does to us. Well, Mary will help us to get moving and discover and nurture a true perspective in which God loves us. And see, all those events of our life through the prism of God's love. That's why we say, Omnia and Bonum, all things work out for the good of those who love Him. And, uh, and we reject the notion that we are not good enough or that we are somehow imposters and that we might be found out. We reject that. And we embrace the truth that we began with. I love you, Lord, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is the rock where I take refuge. As Our Lady did when she ran off in haste after she received the message of the angel. She'll intercede for us so that we will feel our Lord as our rock. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.